Chapter 7 of Pollyanna's Jewels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Luma Smith. A Controversial Evening. It goes without saying that Pollyanna's children had been reared on the glad game. As soon as they were old enough to understand, they had been told the story of the little crutches in the missionary barrel and the game that had started then and there. And they accepted their mother's teaching readily, for it is only to those who have left the heavenly institutions of childhood far behind that pessimistic gloom seems the way of wisdom. When the snow, which had carpeted the earth whitely at bedtime, disappeared during the night due to a rise of temperature followed by a drizzling rain, and Junior, who had brought up his sled from the cellar to be in readiness for the morning, wept at the sight of the bare earth. Judy comforted him by suggesting, Anyway, Junior, you can be glad about Aunt Sadie sending you the Indian clothes, cause now you can scout me in jigs and baby, a prospect so alluring that Junior smiled through his tears. And it was Junior who essayed the role of consoler when Inez Richards lamented conditions due to her mother's absence from home. If my mamma didn't have to go off and work, she'd let me have bread and jelly when I got hungry. But Mary says she won't have chillin' messin' round. Junior nodded wisely. Well, anyway, Inez, if your mother stayed to home, she wouldn't let you come over to our house so much, so you can be glad about that. Pollyanna, overhearing, smiled. It was true that, if Mrs. Richards had known how her daughter spent her time, from the close of the kindergarten she and Junior both attended, until six o'clock, she would have realized that the thing had become an imposition. Pollyanna wondered if all mothers, whose yearning for self-expression drove them to assume outside duties, simply handed their original responsibilities over to some outsider who had no obligation in the case. Inez's society, for from four to six hours a day, was not an unalloyed pleasure, especially as, in her mother's absence from home, the child was running wild. The maid Mrs. Richards left in charge, and of whose competence she boasted, was a martinet where cleanliness and order were concerned, and she looked on children with unconcealed disapproval as the embodiment of forces hostile to her twin divinities. Mary's ideal was a house that never got out of order, and, in her effort to make the dream come true, she kept Inez out of the house as much as possible. Pollyanna heard Inez asking Junior one afternoon, Is Nancy your aunt or your grandmother? Junior pondered. She ain't nothing, he burst out at length, except just Nancy. She's not the hired girl, is she? I... I guess so. Well, she isn't. Hired girls hate children. I guess she's a kind of grandmother and she lets you call her Nancy, so folks won't think she's old. While Pollyanna would have been just as well satisfied without Inez's daily visits, she could not find it in her heart to turn the lonely child away. And, since Inez was so constantly in the company of Junior and Judy, it seemed necessary to subject her to the same discipline that she did her own children, insisting on courtesy and good humor toward one another, and on prompt obedience to Nancy as well as to herself. After she had sent Inez home on several occasions for being quarrelsome, 
or answering Nancy rudely, the small girl became, if not altogether a model, at least an extremely cautious wrongdoer. "'I'm sure Inez makes me quite as much trouble as Junior,' Pollyanna told Jimmy. "'As far as discipline goes, I might as well have four children as three. "'Well, anyway, we don't have to buy her shoes,' said Jimmy, "'who had just paid a bill for outfitting the family, "'and that's something to be thankful for.' It was not until the evening Mrs. Richards called, apologizing for the absence of her husband, who had planned to accompany her, and then had been detained in the city by business, that Pollyanna realized how strong a prejudice she had formed against the mother of Inez. Meeting her face to face, she found herself disarmed by something appealing in Mrs. Richards's personality. She was a tall, thin young woman, with the hot eyes of a zealot, so entirely did she regard herself as the prophetess of a new dispensation that, after a few minutes of preliminary commonplaces, her conversation became sheer propaganda. Oh, of course, it's hard for me, Mrs. Pendleton, this going into the city each day, and it makes it harder because my husband is not in sympathy with it. He is doing very well in business, and he can't understand that the money I earn is a minor consideration with me. It's the principle that's important. Pollyanna hesitated. She did not wish to become involved in a debate on the occasion of her first meeting with Mrs. Richards, and yet she could not think of any rejoinder which would not seem argumentative. She had forgotten that the enthusiast can carry on a conversation with no assistance beyond an occasional grunt and a more or less intelligent stare. While she sought for a suitable reply, Mrs. Richards was continuing, without seeming to realize her failure to respond. "'Oh, Mrs. Pendleton, I have at heart the interests of multitudes of women, toiling in the treadmill of domestic drudgery. In Russia, we've seen the result of a reaction against tyranny, and when women revolt, the outcome will be vastly more terrible.' Pollyanna saw a chance to interject a question. But there's drudgery in every kind of work, isn't there? In business just as much as in keeping house? I beg your pardon? It was clear that Pollyanna's question had interrupted the other's train of thought, that Mrs. Richards was more interested in the expression of her own theories than in hearing the ideas of her hostess. Pollyanna repeated the question, adding a word of explanation. Take your own business, for instance. You have a gift shop, haven't you? Of course, when the things come, they have to be unpacked and put on the shelves or in the showcases and the price mark on each one. And then, when customers drop in, you show them lots of things they don't want, even if you're finally lucky enough to come across something they do want. And then they're sending out bills and paying bills and seeing that the janitor does his work properly and a thousand things you know a great deal more about than I do. It seems to me all this is drudgery, just as much as anything we housekeepers have to do. But, of course you'll admit, said Mrs. Richards, deepening her voice impressively, that woman is broadened by contact with the outer world. The thing was becoming a debate in spite of her. Pollyanna sighed, but stood her ground. I can't see why selling a woman a string of beads is any more broadening than buying a chicken from a butcher. Mrs. Richards disregarded the point. Mrs. Pendleton, she said intensely, 
For generations, men have been striving to keep women in an inferior place. It's sickening to think of the brilliant personalities that have worn themselves out sweeping and dusting and preparing three meals a day. Talk of waste! The most fearful waste of all time is the squandering of the abilities of women on what has so long been called women's work. But we mustn't forget, Pollyanna reminded her gently, that we've been trusted with the most important job of all. I suppose you mean making men comfortable. They like women to believe that's the most important work in the world. No, I don't mean that at all. I mean raising the children. Building a skyscraper isn't nearly as important a thing, is it, as bringing a boy up to a splendid manhood? There was an irritating suggestion of superiority in Mrs. Richards' smile. But, my dear Mrs. Pendleton, surely you admit that the mother's position in the home is no longer as important as it was. The old-time woman wove the material out of which she made her children's clothes and carted the wool out of which she knitted their stockings. She not only nursed them when they were sick, but grew and dried the herbs which she used as remedies. Now, most of these things are done for her and by people better qualified than herself. Even the bedtime story comes over the radio nowadays. The mother is by no means the indispensable person she used to be. If she isn't, Pollyanna retorted, an edge to her voice, I'm glad my children haven't found it out. She was sorry the moment the words had passed her lips, fearing that Mrs. Richards would take the remark as personal. But at that moment, Junior affected a diversion by calling over the banisters. Mother! Hasn't my daddy come yet? No, Junior. Run back to bed and go to sleep. But I can't go to sleep without kissing daddy. I'll tell him to go up to your room and kiss you when he comes in. And, if you're sound asleep, he'll kiss you twice. Cross your heart, stipulated Junior. Not, Pollyanna was sure, to cast any doubt on her veracity, but to impress her with the importance of her promise. Cross my heart. Pollyanna agreed and smiled at her collar, and then she realized that Mrs. Richards was looking at her with an air of curious fascination, as if she were examining an animal of unfamiliar species. It seemed a good time to turn the conversation to less controversial topics, and for some minutes they talked of their children, as any two mothers might have done. Pollyanna was rather amused by Mrs. Richards's failure to thank her for acting a part of foster mother to Inez six days out of every week. This was not, she realized, because Mrs. Richards was ungrateful, but because she had no idea how Inez spent her afternoons. Pollyanna had fully expected to dislike Mrs. Richards, but instead she found the ardent, thin young woman oddly attractive. She felt sorry for her, and she suspected that Mrs. Richards was pitying her, as an extremely unprogressive representative of her sex. In short, a back number. They shook hands warmly when they parted. I hope you'll join our woman's club, Mrs. Pendleton, said Mrs. Richards. Anyone tied down, as the mother of three little children must be, deserves a good time occasionally. Pollyanna thanked her. I'm sure I'd enjoy the club, and I think it's a good thing for us all to have a change rather often. But, please, don't think I'm tied down, for I'm doing all the things I'd rather do. I'm sure nobody in the world has a better time than I do. Of course, it's pleasant to feel you're doing your duty. 
Oh, no, Pollyanna burst out. Oh, it's not that at all, she heard on impetuously, trying to make the matter clear. I couldn't possibly be as happy anywhere else as I am with my children. They're so wonderful, little children are, and so dear. It's such a beautiful thing to see them growing, and developing, and learning to be generous, and helpful, and to love the truth. And, even when they're naughty, they're terribly interesting, and funny, too. Sometimes it seems as if I'd die if I couldn't get off in a corner and laugh. Mrs. Richards looked at her, frankly bewildered. Well, she said after a moment, there's no doubt that you're the sort of woman to bring up children. And her face wore a thoughtful expression as she went down the steps, as if she were wondering whether she could possibly speak as enthusiastically on the gift shop as Pollyanna had spoken of her job. When Jimmy came, Pollyanna told him of the promise she had made Junior, and followed him into the children's room to watch him stoop and kiss, first one tan cheek and then the other. Junior, roused, looked up adoringly into his father's face, and then, discovering his mother in the room, sat up like a jack-in-the-box. Mother, he exclaimed, his alert little brain instantly in action. Mother, don't you feel sorry for poor God? Pollyanna jumped. Why, Junior, what do you mean? Well, you see, he has to be everybody's daddy, and he hasn't any daddy at all and he hasn't any mother, either. Shouldn't you think, questioned Junior earnestly, that he'd rather be a little boy? And then, without waiting for his query to be answered, Junior dropped back on his pillow and was instantly asleep. End of chapter 7 Read by Nancy Cochran Gergen Gilbert, Arizona June 21, 2021